All right, well, good morning, South Point. How are we doing this morning? It's good to see you this morning, and uh, I'm glad to be a part of this series, Dying to Live. It's been a fantastic series. In fact, if you've missed any of it, I just want to encourage you, go to our website, go to our Facebook page. You can watch them. You can listen to them, and uh, it's been a great series you're going to want to check out throughout the year. And um, so I'm excited to be a part of it uh, this week. A couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, in fact, uh, I took a trip down to Brazil. I was there for a couple of weeks, and uh, we were there uh, with the ministry that I work with called Reasonable Faith, and down there doing some conferences and things like that. And, and so on the trip down there and on the trip back, an overnight flight, about 12, 13 hours uh, each way, about midway through the night, you're flying over the open ocean. Most everybody's asleep at this time. I don't sleep too well on planes, so I was awake. And all of a sudden, we start hitting some turbulence. You know it's going to be bad when even in the middle of the night, the captain comes on and says, you know, please make sure you're buckled. We're going to hit some turbulence. Buckle up because it's not going to be very good. And, you know, I've been on planes a lot in my life. I've flown around the world. I've done all kinds of different things like that. Planes don't really bother me all that much. The left side of my brain was telling me, it's okay. It's just like hitting some speed bumps. It's not a big deal. Whereas the right side of my brain was saying, hold on, Amelia Earhart. We're going down with the plane, okay? Jesus, take the wheel, right? Anyone else ever experienced anything like that? They don't really like you screaming that out in the middle of the overnight flight. So just warning, don't do that. And, uh, you know, the truth is, is airplanes, like I said, don't really bother me. What bothered me was the thought that we might crash into the ocean and I would be left in the open ocean not knowing what creature is going to come up from the depths and swallow me whole, right? It's like I can hear somebody saying, release the Kraken, you know, and here it comes, you know. And, uh, you know, because I have this incredibly rational, completely acceptable fear of sharks. Like, sharks are great. I can see them on the TV screen, but I have no desire to be in the open ocean with them. And, you know, the truth is, you know, I mean, look, I've seen Jaws, okay? I know the scientific facts about Jaws, okay? I've seen them, okay? And, you know, the truth is, is while, you know, we can laugh about these things, you share similar fears, don't you? Like maybe it might be fears of sharks, or maybe it's a fear of snakes, or spiders, or some other animal that starts with S. You know, I don't know what the deal is with that, but you know, maybe, maybe you're scared of the dark. It's okay. We won't judge you, okay? We love people here. Or maybe you're scared to pay full price for something. I don't know. I mean, these are your fears, okay? Whatever you want them to be. And while we can laugh at these things, and we can joke about these things, and even play practical jokes with each other on our different fears that we have, the honest truth is that every single one of us know that there are some genuine fears in our lives that we oftentimes struggle with, aren't there? Like we might be afraid of failure in the future. And so we fail to step out and we fail to embrace the risk that maybe God might be calling us to go out and do this or to, to speak to this person because we need to make reconciliation with that person. Or maybe God's calling us to step out to speak to that person and share our faith with that person. There's, well, what if it doesn't work out? Or maybe God's calling you to do this in your job or to leave your job or to step out and do something and you go, well, man, what if I fail? I don't want to risk failure. Maybe it's financial difficulties that we're afraid of. And so we're wondering, man, how are we going to pay the bills next month or the month after that or the month after that? Or maybe it's retirement that's coming down the road. And we say, well, do we have enough saved up? I'm afraid that we don't. Can we retire with dignity so that we are able to have enough to last us as long as we continue to live? Maybe it's fear of just fear of the future. Maybe what college I need to go to or what kind of a job do I need to get? Or maybe we're afraid for our family and we fear losing a loved one. We have all kinds of genuine fears that we have in our lives, don't we? And yet, oftentimes, our, while our fear makes us feel isolated, the truth of the matter is that our fears actually can kind of help bring us and bridge the community that we have because we're not the only people that ever deal with these things alone. 
In fact, one of the things that I've learned about my fears throughout my life is this. You can fill this blank in your notes in your, in your bulletin. You can pull those out. Is One of the things that I have learned is that the, air, the things that I fear the most in my life are typically the areas in which I trust God in the least. Think about that. The things that you fear most in your life are probably the areas in your life in which you trust God in the least. And the truth is, is that we're in good company this morning. We're not the first people to ever struggle with fear or to struggle with these issues before. In fact, it was the disciples, it was the men who followed Jesus, the men who were closest with Jesus, the men who you know, shared the campfire with Jesus, who walked with him, saw him do miracles. These disciples struggled with fear. So much so that to the point when Jesus calls his disciples together and he issues this very explicit command to them, he says, fellas, do not fear. Do not fear. Another way of saying that, don't be afraid. And Jesus went around saying this phrase all the time. In fact, it's one of the most repeated phrases throughout all the books of the Bible. Anytime God shows up or Jesus does a miracle or an angel appears, what's the first words out of their mouth? Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Hey, look, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't fear. I know you don't understand this, but don't be afraid. I know you weren't used to this, but don't be afraid. I know you've never seen this happen before, but don't be afraid. All throughout the scriptures, we see this phrase, do not fear. And while this sounds really great, we ask ourselves, how in the world do I actually fulfill this command of Jesus? How do I not fear? I mean, is fear like sort of like a light switch that I can just turn off and say, okay, great. Now I don't fear anymore. Or do we become afraid that we're not going to be able to stop being afraid? I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, we struggle with this, don't we? Because we have genuine concerns and fears in our lives. And so that's the question that we're going to try to answer this morning for you, is to say, how do we respond to this commandment of Jesus when he says, do not fear? So if you have a Bible or if you have your mobile devices with you, we're going to look in the book of Matthew. We call Matthew a book, but really what Matthew is, is it is a first century biography written by one of the disciples of Jesus that talks about the life, the teachings, the burial, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to look at one particular teaching in Matthew chapter 10, and then we're going to look at two stories that sort of bracket this teaching that Matthew records that sort of help provide context and drive the point home for us this morning. So... In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus calls his disciples together. And they say, he says, okay, fellas, we, we, we've been traveling together a lot. You've seen me do a lot of things, heard me teach a lot of things. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to split up into teams of two, and I'm going to send you guys out. Okay, so you two, and you two, and you two, and you guys are going to go all over the nation of Israel. And, and you guys are going to do some amazing things. It's going to be incredible. Uh, you guys are going to preach about the coming of the kingdom of God. You guys are going to raise the dead. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal the sick. Like, at that point, I think the disciples are like high-fiving, like, dude, it's happening. This is awesome. You know, like, this is going to be amazing. He's like, that's right. It is going to be amazing. In fact, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Uh, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You, you mean like we're the wolves, right? Like, like we're the wolves and like demons are the sheep. We're just going to go out there and, uh, you know, we're going to go to town. Like sickness is the sheep. We're, we're, we're the wolves, right? No, 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 no. You, you are the sheep and they are the wolves. In fact, some of you are going to get arrested. Uh, some of you are going to put in, be put in jail. Uh, some of you are going to get beat up. Uh, in fact, ultimately, some of you will give the ultimate sacrifice and you'll eventually give your life for this. But hey, don't be afraid. Like, in that moment, I'm kind of like, Jesus, I need a little bit more than that, okay? Like, give me a little bit more context here. And this is where we pick up with this teaching in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Here's what Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid 
of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid. Okay, okay. now wait a minute, Jesus. You, are we not supposed to be afraid? Are we supposed to be afraid? Like, what, what is it you're really wanting us to do here? And it's like I can just see Jesus grin and say, all right, let me get to it. Let, let me help you out here. He says, but rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, be afraid of the one who has control of your ultimate destiny. Verse 29, he gives this illustration to make his point. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? He says, in other words, these little creatures that you guys sell, I mean, you can get them for next to nothing. They're worthless, basically. He says, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And I love that Jesus says your Father. He doesn't just say God as if like this being who's impersonal, who's out there and is aware of everything happening. No, he says your heavenly Father knows what happens to them. And look at verse 30. He says, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Not, so not only does God know when one of these little insignificant creatures falls to the ground and dies, not only does he know that, but he also knows very finite, intimate details about you that you don't even know about yourself. And finally, he goes on in verse 31. He says, so because of that, because your father knows, he says, so do not be afraid, for you are worth far more than many sparrows. Now, I can kind of see the, the, the disciples' wheels turning in their head as they kind of process this teaching because just a few chapters before that, they, they kind of begin to connect the dots, particularly after Jesus' death and resurrection, and they start writing these Gospels down because they start making connections with the teachings of Jesus, with the experiences that they had with Jesus, and said, wow, okay, so Jesus taught us this, but then we saw it and experienced it in these experiences with him. And so Matthew records these two experiences, both with the same disciples on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and that helped to really drive home and provide context for this teaching when Jesus says, don't be afraid of the one who can, fear, who can only hurt the body, but fear the one who has both control over your body and your soul. So we pick up, go back a few verses in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is teaching on the Sea of Galilee and he's surrounded by huge crowds of people. They're constantly coming to him. And in Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus wants to make his escape, okay, like they don't have a, like a bunch of escalades come rolling in that Jesus can jump in and, whoosh, you know, they're gone and they can whisk him away. Like Jesus gets into a boat, they push off into the Sea of Galilee, and they're like, okay, see y'all later, we're going to the other side. That was how he made his escape. So they get into the boat, they shove off from land, they go out, and they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And look at what Matthew records in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 24. It says, suddenly, everybody say, suddenly. Suddenly, a furious storm comes on the lake. Now look, we understand what that means as fellow Oklahomans, don't we? Like, it can be this beautiful, nice, 75-degree day, sunshiny outside, and like five minutes later, it's like, head for the tornado shelter, because it's all coming in, right? We all know what that's like, and that's what happens here, because in the geography of the Sea of Galilee, it's sort of like in this valley, like a bowl, and so the Sea of Galilee is at the bottom of this valley, and on each side, you have these sort of plateau mountains on each side of it, so the winds and the moisture would just come swooping in, and all of a sudden, boom, you have this huge storm that crops up out of nowhere. So he says, suddenly a furious storm came onto the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, 
I don't know about you, if you've ever been in one of these situations where maybe you were on a boat, maybe you were in an airplane, maybe a tornado or a hurricane or something happened in your life where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you immediately began to fear for your life. Like, you go into panic mode in that moment, don't you? I mean, it's like all of a sudden everything is hitting the fan and you're just going, oh my goodness, what are we supposed to do? That's kind of like what the disciples are going through right now in this moment. And he goes on and it says, but Jesus, what was Jesus doing this whole time? Jesus was sleeping. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Because some of you may be in this room struggle with this exact thing. In fact, some of you have some serious doubts about your faith, or maybe some of you have even walked away from your faith at some point because something happened in your life. A tragedy took place in your life. Something happened that didn't turn out the way that you had wanted it to. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed, but Jesus was asleep. You prayed and you prayed and you prayed and God didn't respond the way that you wanted God to respond. Jesus didn't do what you asked and wanted Jesus to do. But I want to tell you today, and I want to challenge you with this, I want to encourage you to come back to the faith. And here's the reason why. Because you're not the first person that's ever dealt with that before. In fact, it was the disciples, it was these men who followed Jesus everywhere that he went for three, three and a half years. It was the men that knew Jesus best. It was the people who loved him the most, his best and closest friends, that they are in the middle of this situation. They are afraid for their life. They think everything is falling apart at the seams, and yet they didn't just imagine that God was asleep. They actually saw him asleep in that moment. Matthew continues on in verse 25, though, and he says this. He says, so the disciples went, and they woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. To which Jesus replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? (laughs) Now, I think maybe at this point, you know, I just visualize in my head, there's maybe one of these more obscure disciples that we really don't hear anything about, that he's kind of in the back, maybe like Bartholomew or something. He's like in the back going, "Uh, Jesus, permission to speak freely, please. Are you kidding me? Like, what kind of a question is that? Like, how, why are we so afraid? You see the, the, the waves coming over the boat, right? Like, we're about to drown. Jesus, like, drown. Like, literally drown, Jesus. Like, we're afraid because we're about to drown. And when you're about to drown, you're afraid. So I, why are you even asking that question, Jesus? But what does Jesus do? He says he gets up, verse 26. Then he got up. He rebuked the winds and the waves. Jesus just got up and said, stop. And everything became calm. Verse 27, then the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, their response is a really fascinating response because this story appears in multiple gospels. And so in the gospel of Mark, which earliest church fathers, uh, the early church father Papias uh, actually recorded that Mark was a traveling companion of the apostle Peter and wrote down Peter's gospel. And so Peter is reciting, telling Mark what his experiences with Jesus were. And Mark wrote it down and then it was distributed amongst the early church before it was eventually combined into the New Testament with everything else that was being distributed at the time. And so Mark does something very interesting here. Mark takes the verb form and the noun form of the word to fear in the Greek, and he combines them both together when describing the disciples' view of Jesus in that moment. So in other words, Jesus 
calms the storm. The disciples are afraid of the storm. I mean, they're terrified. They're terrified for their life. But then Jesus gets up. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the waves. He calms everything. And then Mark records that the disciples feared a great fear. In other words, they were afraid of the storm, but they were more afraid of Jesus because, oh my goodness, who are we in this boat with? He's not what we thought he was. Even the wind and the waves, nature itself obeys him. So then afterwards, the disciples began to put two and two together. That, oh, Okay, I, I see what you meant by that teaching, Jesus. So, so I see what you mean, that there is something to be afraid of. It's just that we have been afraid of the wrong thing. There is something to be. Don't be afraid of that thing that can only kill the body but can't harm the soul. Don't fear the one. Don't fear the thing. Don't fear the disease. Don't fear the person. Don't fear the empire in the case of the disciples that can only harm the body. Instead, fear, reverence, stand in awe of the one that controls the ultimate destiny of your soul. Because in moments like this, the disciples would say, our fear in the moment is eclipsed by a greater fear of the one with whom we share the boat. But Matthew says, you know what, the lesson's not over. Because we still didn't quite get it. And so Jesus kind of had to give us another lesson. And so it goes on in Matthew chapter 14, a few chapters down the road. Jesus, this, one, this particular story of Jesus is actually in all four of the Gospels. And Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish and he multiplies it, blesses it, and it feeds 5,000 plus people, 5,000 men. So they weren't even counting the women and the children. It's thousands and thousands of people. In fact, he includes the disciples with him on this one. I mean, he's like handing them the basket saying, okay, Peter, take this basket of bread. And he's like, dude, Matthew, I was feeding thousands of people and it never emptied. I know, Peter, isn't it amazing? I had fish and it never ran out. I, look, I still have the basket. It's still full. And at the conclusion of that, Jesus, Matthew records that Jesus tells his disciples, all right, fellas, we're going to make our escape again. Let's get into the boat. And they're like, no, we're not going to get in the boat. Because Matthew, and all, Matthew, Mark, and John record the next story, in which case it starts out where they say, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He made them. Like, like okay, hey, fellas, let's get into the boat. Uh, no, Jesus, we're not getting in the boat with you again. Well, why not? What's the problem? Because we remember what happened last time we got in the boat with you, and we're not going to risk going out there and drowning again, okay? So, no, come on, fellas, it's going to be all right. Look, I calmed the storm last time. Let's go. Get into the boat. Okay, so everybody gets in the boat. Jesus shoves them off and says, all right, see you guys later. I'll meet you on the other side. Like, what? Like, where are you at, Jesus? I, that's all right. You guys can do it. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. So you have the same group of men. You have probably the same boat. You have the same Sea of Galilee, only this time Jesus isn't with them. And so these guys set out to cross the lake because, by golly, that's what Jesus told us to do. We're gonna, Jesus told us to go to the other side. All right, well, we're going to go to the other side. We're going to row and we're going to get there. Hey, we've got some fishermen on our team. We've got some experienced people on our team. And, hey, we're going to go to the other side. We can do this. All right, we're going to go do what Jesus told us to do. So we pick up in Matthew chapter 14 in verse 23. It says, After Jesus had dismissed the crowd... He went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, in this type of situation, if you've ever been out to the Wichita Mountains and you've ever been on the side of Mount Scott that overlooks Lake Latonka out there, that's kind of pretty similar to that. Like, you can be up on the side of Mount Scott, you can overlook the whole lake, and you can actually see what people are doing on the lake. 
Like you can see them, you can see, oh, that guy's skiing, okay, that guy's skiing. Oh, he just wiped out, I wish I would have recorded it, right? Like you can see all those things that are happening, and that's kind of what Jesus has done. He's gone up onto the side of a mountain, he's praying, but yet one of the Gospels records that he's actually watching the disciples and he's seeing what they're doing. So he went up onto the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So this time, there isn't a storm, but there is this huge wind, this headwind that's trying to, that they're trying to row against. I mean, the disciples, when you really look at all these gospels that record this story and you put all of the stories together, what you walk away with is this understanding that the disciples are out there rowing for hours and hours and hours and hours. They are out there working their tails off, trying to go against the wind. It's like the original rowing machine. They're just rowing and they're going nowhere. I mean, their blisters have blisters. They're like, come on, switch out. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. All right, Peter, you take over. They're soaked. They're tired. They've been out there all night. And then all of a sudden, this is what Matthew records, verse, 26, or verse 25. Shortly before dawn, they've been out there all night long. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, everybody say it with me, terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, fail. Sorry, fellas. You still haven't got, okay, Jesus didn't really actually say that, okay, but, but they still haven't gotten the lesson, have they? It's like Jesus is saying, I'm trying to teach you guys about fear. Don't you remember the last time we were in the boat together, right? Like, remember the storm came up and I was asleep, you know, and you guys were like crying and wigging out about this whole thing. And you came to me like freaking out and I get up and I calm the wind. And you guys fear this great fear. We get to land and then, you know, we like laugh about it. Like, I'm not getting in the boat with you again, Jesus, you know, but here you are again, right? You guys remember that, right? You remember what took place there. And then I've actually told you guys just a few chapters before this, do not be afraid. You guys remember that, right? And now here we are again, and you're terrified again because you think that I'm a ghost. I'm sorry, but you failed. Guys, once again, you are afraid when there was something to be afraid of, but you haven't learned what you ought to be afraid of instead. I'm trying to teach you not to be afraid, even when there may be something to be afraid of, because there is something to be afraid of, but you're putting your fear on the wrong thing. In verse 27, continuing on, it says, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So they're like, okay, so, so you weren't with us, Jesus, but you were watching us? Yes, because one day I'm not going to be with you. And yet I will be watching you. You And just as you did not need to be afraid when I was asleep with you in the boat, and just like you didn't need to be afraid when I wasn't with you, but I was aware of what you were doing in the boat, you don't have to be afraid, even when there may be something to be afraid of. And that's the lesson that Matthew tries to teach. That's the lesson that Jesus is getting across, is that you don't have to be afraid, even when there may be something 
to be afraid of. For some of you, maybe that's the lesson that you need to take. That's the one thing. You need to even make it personal. You need to write it on a sticky note. Put it on your computer monitor at work. Put it on your nightstand so it's the first thing you see in the morning. And say to yourself, I don't have to be afraid, even when there may be something to be afraid of. Yeah, but Michael, you don't understand. But no, 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 no. You don't have to be afraid, even when there may be something to be afraid of. See, the disciples, they never really seem to get this. They never seem to really get this all the way up to the very end. Because when Jesus eventually is arrested by the religious leaders, do they stand by their man? Heck no, man, they're gone. They're out of there. They're like fleeing for their lives. What? Because they're afraid of those who can only harm the body, even though they can't harm the soul. They run for fear when Jesus is arrested. They're completely terrified. And it wasn't until after the Gospels that they emerge as these completely fearless men. Like somehow they finally began to get it and grasp this teaching of Jesus. That the thing that made all the difference in the world for them was not another teaching, was not another church service, wasn't uh, wasn't another boat experience. It was that they saw a resurrected Savior. And when Jesus rose from the dead, they became fearless because the ultimate enemy of death had been vanquished and defeated. And when they lost their fear of death, they began to fear not. This is something that I think the early church, early Christians got. I think that many Christians around this world get who suffer and are persecuted and are killed killed for their faith that I think we as American Christians, we oftentimes just don't understand and can't grasp and don't get. That when we come to the conclusion and we stake our eternity on the fact that Jesus really died for our sins, that he was really buried, that he really rose from the dead and was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses, that he has resurrection life and now offers that resurrection life to you and to me. When we begin to understand this, your fear of death begins to evaporate. And when you no longer have fear of that, once you learn as Jesus Jesus said, to fear not the one that can only harm the body, the disease that can only harm your body, the person that can only harm your body, that thing that you are so worried about and gripped in fear about, you begin to learn rather to reverence and to fear the one that controls your soul. Something begins to happen on the inside of your life, and what began as a completely irrelevant, unapplicable, unattainable commandment all of a sudden becomes a way of life and freedom for you. Several years ago, several years ago when I was in college, I made my second trip to the Holy Land, my second trip to Israel. And when you go to the Holy Land, you always go to the Sea of Galilee. In fact, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee that you can see. So you can kind of see, kind of like if you're up on a mountainside and you kind of oversee, there's a little boat down there in the left-hand corner. You can kind of see that you can get a pretty good idea of the size of it, but also that you can actually see what's happening out on the Sea of Galilee. So when you go to the Holy Land, you always go to the Sea of Galilee. And when you go to the Sea of Galilee, uh, you always, there's all kinds of different sites and different things that you can go to and you can see. And when you're there, typically they'll have you go onto a boat, one of these old sort of boats that are a replica of basically nothing, um, but they look like it, and they're supposed to look like it. In fact, down in the left-hand corner, you can see one right there. It's 
pretty small, but you can fit about 100, 150 people on, on the boat. So everybody gets into the boat, and they go out into the middle of, of the Sea of Galilee, and they turn off the engine. So it's quiet, it's peaceful, it's a beautiful, sunny day, hopefully. And they have these little, you know, portable sound systems you can set up, and you can play some songs, sing some songs, and then somebody will get up and give a devotion. And sort of ironically, they kind of usually tell that first story, like where the storm comes up immediately, and they were about to drown. You're like, oh, that makes me feel comforted with the engine off out here. And so you're out there, and every single time, without fail, there's always somebody that's terrified to get onto the boat. They're on land, and everybody's getting on. Everybody's filing on. They're stepping onto it, and they are just frozen with fear because they're scared of the water. They're scared of deep water. They're, but, man, they have saved and saved and saved for years to go to the Holy Land, so they muscle up the courage, and they get onto the boat, but they're just sitting there, like, frozen with fear the whole time, and they're ready to get off. Do you know why I really didn't have any problems getting onto the boat? You know why, like for me, why I could just simply step onto the boat and why I could even be confident and say, hey, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. For three reasons. Number one, I know how to swim. Number two, I've been on the water and I've been on boats a lot in my life. And thirdly, I've actually been on those boats on the Sea of Galilee. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. I know what to experience. And so I could stand there with absolute confidence and knew that they too could stand there with absolute confidence because I knew how to swim. I'd been on the water a lot in my life and I'd actually been on those exact boats on the Sea of Galilee before. And so I could tell them with confidence, fear not. Do you know why Jesus could say to his disciples, and why he can whisper to you and to me through the centuries today that you don't have to be afraid. You know why? Jesus could say that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, in spite of the difficulties we may find ourselves in, in spite of the fear that grips our hearts. You know why Jesus could say, fear not? It's because Jesus knows how to swim. He's been on the water a lot. He's been on that exact boat that you find yourself on this morning. He's seen a lot of things. He's dealt with a lot of things. And he knows exactly what you're facing in your life today. In fact, he knows so much that he can simply say to you today, no matter what your experience is, you don't have to be afraid, even when there may be something to be afraid of. Because you have been invited to submit yourself, to surrender yourself, to surrender your fears to a heavenly Father who knows every detail about your life, who knows the very number of hairs on your head. And because of that, you don't have to be afraid, even when there may be something to be afraid of in your life. And you are invited to submit those fears to your Heavenly Father because He will walk with you through it. He loves you and He wants to see you through it in your life. Because with His resurrection, Jesus says, I have already conquered death. And as my follower, you don't have to be afraid of something that I have already conquered for you. 
that I have already overcome it. You couldn't do it for yourself. You couldn't be strong enough to carry that fear yourself. And yet I have already done it in your place. I've done it for you. I've laid down my life so that you don't have to. I've taken your sin upon me because you couldn't bear it for yourself. I've taken that fear upon me because you couldn't bear it for yourself. So you now don't have to live and walk in fear. You can walk in life. You can walk in freedom and you can lean on me and you can trust in me because I know you and I know what you need and I've already taken it. So stop taking up things that I've already conquered. Stop picking up the chains that I've already set you free from. Stop picking them up and living your life in such a way that I have already set you free from it. I've already conquered it. I've already beat it. I've already nailed it to the cross. It's already a done deal. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. So come to your Father. Come to me and lay it all down and leave it with me. That is the hope that we have. That's the life that we have in Christ. That's why Jesus could say, do not be afraid. And you don't have to be afraid today. You can walk out those doors today with freedom, with hope, and with life, resurrection life inside of you. So if you have put your faith in Christ today, you can rest in his freedom. You can rest in the peace that passes all understanding that your situation out there may not change the minute you walk out that door. But just because your situation doesn't change does not mean you have to continue to carry fear about that situation any longer because you can give it to Him. So here's how I want to close today. When I begin to pray, I want to invite our prayer team to make their way forward and they're going to be lined up on each side. And I want to encourage you that if today, if today's message, you say, Michael, that, that was for me. I needed to hear that. I need to lay my fears down at the feet of my Heavenly Father. I need to lay it down at His feet. If that's you today, then I want to encourage you to step up, to take a step of faith and to step out from where you're at to find one of these people to come and pray with you from our prayer team who they will simply put a hand on your shoulder so that you feel a point of contact to know I am not alone in what I'm facing in my life today because we're a community of faith and we come together and we center around the person of Jesus and Jesus has something to say to you today. He wants to challenge you and change you today and we simply want to be that point of contact to say you are not alone. So after I pray and I say amen, I want to encourage you that as the band leads us in this song again, I want you to feel free to step up from where you're at and find someone to pray with you today. If today you say, Michael, I'm good, that, that I don't need to respond to this in that way, there's two things I want to challenge you with, two focuses that I want you to pray about while you're there at your seats and as you worship, as they sing. The first one is this. I want to challenge you to say, God, when moments of fear come in my future, because they will come, you will have the temptation to fear at some point in the future. Something will come up in an area that you trust God in the least and you will be challenged and you will be tempted to give in to fear, to fear the one that can only harm the body. But I want you to pray and say, God, help me in those moments when they come. Help me to be prepared. Help me to set up some guardrails so that when those moments come in my life, I can stand firm in the peace of God, knowing that no matter what fears come my way, I don't have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of because there is a greater one who is greater than any fear that I have. So let my fear be eclipsed by my reverence and my fear of who you are. And the second thing I want you to focus is to pray and say, God, give me open eyes and give me an open heart so that 
you will show me people in my life, my coworkers, my family, my kids, my spouse, my friends, people that are facing the fears of their life. Help me to have the open eyes and open heart to be able to surround them with love and with prayer to say, you don't have to be afraid. Let me introduce you to someone who can take that fear away from you that you can lean on and trust in your own life. So if you're staying at your seat today, those are the two prayer focuses that I want you to have today. So I want us to pray want to respond to have someone pray with you or if it has something completely different than this than this message today but you say I don't need someone to pray with me about this then I want to encourage you to step out and pray with someone today let's pray heavenly father I thank you that you know everything God that we don't have to be afraid that we don't have to step into an area of fear in our lives we don't have to reside in it we don't have to wallow in it we don't have to be in it any longer because God you have already set us free you have already made a way for us to live in resurrection life and power that we can lean upon you that we can rest in you and so God today I pray that you would stir our hearts give us an open eyes Lord to see the things in our lives that we are trusting you the least to handle these fears that we constantly pick up and we carry around help us to realize today that you've already provided a way out you've already provided a way of freedom for us if we will simply walk through it to you today that you're standing here with open arms you're ready you're waiting you've already provided the way so help us to walk through Christ to you today Lord set us free from these things that we couldn't set ourselves free from help us to walk out of this place with joy and with hope and with peace that passes all of our understandings that even if our circumstances don't change we know that you are actually not asleep in the boat but you are alive and awake and you are aware and so today help us to leave with that acknowledgement in our hearts and minds that you know us and you care for us and you are aware of everything happening in our lives so we can submit our fears to you today. Remind us of that today, Lord, and set us free. 